Loneliness And is supported by the Cost of Loneliness Project, which strives to create a national imperative to spark commitment to and investment in combating loneliness and its devastating emotional, physical, and economic consequences. For more information, visit www.thecostofloneliness.org. I'm Kate Lumpkin. And I'm Lucy Rose. And this is Loneliness And. Sometimes old friends have the most to share. On this episode, we sat down with my dear friend Ryan to discuss a tricky time in our friendship and his life, a topic he and I have never discussed before. Okay, so hi. Hi. Ryan Hallett. We're <laughs> so glad gra- We're so glad that you're here. We're so glad that you're here. Um, so you... <laughs> gra- real gruel. Well, real, real gruel. Uh, so here at, you know, Loneliness And, we like to start our conversations by letting our guest... Um, title their episode. Uh, so I guess I'm going to start with the kind of basic question of what do you want to call this episode? We will call this episode Loneliness and a Bottle of Pills. Okay, Liz, we're set. <laughs> Tell me why. Real casual. <laughs> Real, yeah, yeah. Um, so in 2008, yeah. uh, I was going through a rough patch, had just gone through like a pretty nasty breakup. Um, and it was my first time being alone in New York City, and I, I had resources, but I didn't know how to use them. Uh, and there was a whole bunch of stuff that happened that sort of spiraled into this point where I didn't know how to escape it anymore or how to handle it. Uh, so I went to Dwayne Reed. I bought a bottle of, I think, Dwayne Reed version Tylenol, because I wasn't even going to treat myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's real. And it wasn't the smallest size, but it wasn't the biggest size. It was a very conscious decision, and I bought this bottle of pills, and I sat on a bench on the Upper West Side on Broadway, where the traffic gets going both ways, and I took this bottle of pills, and I, it was before I had brunch plans with Kate, and there are people passing by, there's traffic, it's a busy, I don't remember if it was a Saturday or a Sunday. It was a Saturday. It was a Saturday, so the Upper West Side is uh, busy, and I took this bottle of pills, and then I went to brunch. And this is, I, like, I haven't spoken about this ever really in this detail, so I don't even remember all of the details, so I'm glad that you're here. <laughs> because I think towards the end of the brunch, I started feeling ill, and I think I said something to you, or did I call you afterwards? I, I don't, yeah. I remember I don't that remember we went our separate happening at all. We went our separate ways. Yeah. I took myself to the emergency room, and you were meeting me there. Yeah. I remember, I don't remember brunch. <laughs> I don't remember that part of the story. Try at eggs. I'm sure you did. Um, I remember being on the street and getting a phone call from you uh, saying, Kate, I did something and I don't know what to do about it. And I remember saying, go to Roosevelt and I'll meet you there. That's what I remember. That makes sense. Because I always, in like, I think this conversation will be just as helpful for me to sort of piece this together because I always, I was like, why did we go our separate ways? And you're right. We left brunch. And I, yeah, I called you and I told you, and then I went to Roosevelt, they pumped my stomach, you were there, Mm -hmm. they kept me for a couple of days, and I remember after they sort of, you know, assessed that I was going to be okay, they put me in literally a white room. Mm -hmm. There was no TV, there was no nothing. And I remember asking one of the nurses if I could have a TV in my room. And they were like, we're not allowed to put anything in there. And I was like, oh my God, like, 
they think I'm crazy. They put you in the psychiatric ward, I remember. I know. And there were all of these people coming in and out, talking to me about what I could do and what I couldn't do, where I could go and couldn't go. And part of the terms of my discharge were I had to go to therapy at Bellevue three times a week. Uh, twice a week were one-on-one sessions, and uh, once a week was group therapy. I think there was medicine involved. Like They put me on this whole thing. And I remember thinking, like, I'm not... I'm not crazy. And crazy was the word that I kept associating with it. And, uh, cause I remember sort of once I got out of the fog of it being like, Oh, that was irresponsible that I hurt a lot of people just by doing that. Um, and a lot of this is it's been nine years and sort of the hindsight and the growing has helped me realize where I am now and how I was feeling then. But, um, I just remember being like uh, not understanding why everyone was treating me this way um, I had a huge hang up walking into the doors of Bellevue because it, there's a stigma attached to going to Bellevue um, I was like I am not crazy I do not need to be going to a mental hospital and I wasn't crazy I was just lost um I was definitely depressed. I was definitely lonely. Uh, and so I have I, a question about that. Yeah. So for those of you clearly who have not picked up, Ryan and I have been friends for over a decade. Mm-hmm. Um, and we met in our early 20s in New York um, when all of this kind of went down about pretty early on in our friendship, I would say. Yeah, I would say probably a year and a half in. Yeah. Um, and so my question is, and I've always wanted to ask, because guys, we've never talked about this ever, never since it happened. Um, even as it was happening, we like weren't uh, talking about it. Um, I've never talked to any, I don't talk about it. Yeah. And I've all, like, I, I, the reason I'm talking about it now is because more and more lately it's become something that I'm not ashamed of. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just haven't had a reason to talk about it yeah. until now. So my question, though, is, like, we had a pretty solid friend group at that point in time. I feel like we spent a lot of time hanging out. We had, you know, there were, like, three of us who were really good friends at that point in time. Um, And I feel like I spent all of my time with you guys. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, for people who are listening who are going through something like this, I would not have thought that you were lonely. Like, I wouldn't, I I think that I could see some of the depression. I could see the hurt that was happening in your life. Things were like, shit was hitting the fan. But I wouldn't have immediately thought, like, this person is lonely. This person doesn't have someone to talk to about this. And I think the truth is you you called me. So you did know that you had someone Mm -hmm. to talk to about it. But I, can you, like, talk me through that? Yeah, and I think, uh, I have always sort of, prided myself on not being a burden to other people. Yeah. And there were heavy things that I was going through and heavy emotions that I was feeling. And I didn't want to make somebody else sad with me. Um, and so you're, you're right. The three of us would be hanging out. We would, we, and I had, I was having so much fun. Making stupid music videos. Make, oh my gosh. <laughs> Facebook memories is the worst thing <laughs> because they keep popping up. Um, Arbor Mist. I drank way too much Arbor Mist. You did, we, we were pretty cheap drinkers. I loved it though. It was so good. Um, and I, but sitting in the living room or at a restaurant or wherever we were, 
knew that there were these things weighing on my mind that I didn't want to talk to anybody about. Yeah. And it's not because I didn't trust anyone. I didn't want to burden you with it. So there, I'm sitting surrounded by people but alone because there's this thing weighing on my mind that I can't talk to anybody about. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to talk to anybody about it. Um, Did you feel like this kind of grand act was the only way to like break that bubble of anxiety? I think so, yeah. So when I was in middle school, maybe high school, eighth grade, ninth grade, I uh, took some pills to... No, it was high school because I was 16. Um, I w- went home from work one day and I took seven pills. I think they were Zoloft because I, I was on an antidepressant. And I remember driving home from work being like, I'm going to take seven. Seven seems like a good number. And nothing happened. I think I started to feel ill. I told my mom... She took me to the emergency room. And then it was more about crying out, and I wanted attention. I wanted somebody to know that to be seen. I was so sad or something was so bad that I was acting out. So in contrast to that, what I did in 2008 was meant... It, I, I literally wanted to kill myself. I was like, seven pills doesn't do the trick. That's why I bought a bottle that felt like enough. Um, and I wasn't going to tell anybody. Mm. I went to brunch. I went on living my life. Um, what changed your mind? I started to feel really weird. I don't even, I, and I don't remember what I was feeling. Um, I don't know. I, I also think probably something that changed my mind was I sat for an hour or so with you just being friends, like not thinking about it. And so that's why I called you. Uh, I think had I done it and like gone for a walk by myself, I probably wouldn't have said anything. Um, And also thinking back to it, I was sitting on a bench in the middle of Broadway, in the middle of the Upper West Side at the busiest time on a Saturday, surrounded by people. And I said to this to you guys before, if I wanted to stop a stranger on the street and ask them to give me a hug, they would have. Mm-hmm. But back then, I didn't realize that asking for a hug is sometimes all I need. Because there are still times that I don't want to talk about what's bothering me. And I'll say to my husband, I'm like, I just need a hug. And I'd say, yeah, there's stuff going on, but I either don't want to talk about it or like, we've already talked about it. But back then, I was afraid to reach out and make my problem somebody else's. It's really interesting because we've had this conversation a lot. There's been a big shift in our family in the way that we communicate in the last like five years. Right. There was not a lot of communication about feelings no. when I was younger. Right. And in the last five years, like there has been a huge shift because I also have gone through a lot of stuff. You've gone through stuff. Everybody in our family has had kind of transitional things happen. And now this the kind of like floodgates of communication have opened and I wonder like for you um I know that you kind of like manifest anxiety as a way of dealing with not wanting to talk about things have you found in the last 
decade, <laughs> that, like, there's been a, a shift in, in the levels of communication that you have with other people? Like, have you learned how, how have you learned how to navigate communication about feelings in a healthy way? Is it through therapy? Is it... Therapy helps. I mean, I've been in and out of therapy. I actually, the, the therapist that I see now was the woman that was assigned my case after this. Um, no way. Yeah. She, I remember being able to have such open conversations with her. She was new to the field at that point, so she was closer in age than other therapists that I'd have, and we could have friendly conversations. Um, but I sort of, like, cold turkey stopped going to therapy because I hated walking into that building. I had to do the same thing. And I have been in and out of therapy. I've seen a handful of therapists in the past decade, and in January of this year, I found her online, emailed her, had no idea if she'd remember me, and, like, two weeks later, I was seeing her again, and I've been seeing her every week since. And it's just, sometimes I don't have something heavy to talk about. Some things I don't... Sometimes I don't want to talk about it. And, like, the world we live in now, sometimes we go and we spend 45 minutes talking about politics because that is a huge stressor of mine right now. And oftentimes the thing that stresses me out more than what's happening in my personal life. So uh, I don't remember where I was going with that. You're just how you navigate communication. Oh, yeah. So therapy therapy has been helpful at every phase. Every therapist that I've seen has helped me in one way or another. Uh, I also think that I've become more confident. I still wouldn't consider myself an overly confident person, uh, but I'm confident. Yeah. And I know how to be confident when I need to be. But I think all of like the trials and tribulations that I've gone through, each one has been a lesson that's taught me, okay, like you got through this, you'll be fine. So it helps me sort of rationalize or minimalize or put in perspective whatever I'm going through at the current, at a, like the current time, because it's never going to be as bad as trying to literally kill myself. Um, and it's still so crazy to say, like you, I don't think like it's, that's not who I am anymore. Uh, well, and this is really interesting. This is what we were talking about before. Like, you know, we've been friends for 10 years, but there was definitely a period where, um, we, we couldn't be friends. Um, and this is something that like, I find really fascinating because it's also a pattern that I've had to do in my life when there were great changes and I needed to kind of like start over, um, is this kind of like, uh, removing yourself from relationships. Uh, and I, on the topic of loneliness, like our relationship, when you needed to start again, which I totally honored and valued and was like, I, I get it. It was really lonely for me. It was really sad. Um, especially, and, and it's something that I know you have felt in relationships too, Lucy. Um, this idea of, I, I can't do anything about this situation and all I want to do is help my friend and make sure my friend is happy. Um, and that kind of isolation of what happens when the best thing for a relationship is not being in it anymore um, for one person but not for the other mm-hmm. is is a very interesting and like isolating feeling. We talk about how loneliness, kind of the definition of loneliness is emotional isolation from other. Um, and what happens when that's kind of like forced upon you in some respects is a very hard place to be. I don't know if there's really a follow-up question, but it's like... No, it really is. And, and it's just, it gets to the whole crux of this thing, though. When you said, as an example, 
you were embarrassed to put it out there. Mm -hmm. You didn't want to burden other people. We have to somehow, and I'm not trying to minimize this in any way, nor put down your feelings. Those are reality. Mm -hmm. And I think especially in our culture, and historically certainly it's been a reality, but how do we get over that? Because the only way we're going to get beyond us living our separate lives and continuing to be dreadfully lonely as a society is if we can break these barriers down, if we somehow can learn to talk with one another and understand that it's important for me as your friend to hear where your pain points are. It honors me for you to be able to be vulnerable enough to share. And how do we get to a point where we can say to other people, I'm lonely, I need you, or whatever that may be. How do we do that? Or honoring that, like, every person's journey is different. I, in no way, shape, or form, felt like you needed to, you needed to do your own thing. So, Every I, person's journey is totally unique, and that is something we really need to make sure we say. Yeah. Because each person experiences this, if at all, in their own unique way, totally. clearly. But I do think your kind of base question is, is a really interesting one of how do we stop, how do we, how do we see people or not see people? who are hurting to the place of, of where you were and get people to not feel like they're going to exhaust someone by talking about it or, you know, um, wanting to communicate about what's going on. What's, what's kind of changed in you? We live in a very different time now. 10 years actually is also a very different, Hugely different. experience of now you can like text a therapist. Now, you know, there are support groups online that are really easy to find. There are foundations. There are things that, that you can Google. There are numbers, you know, tons of places where you can get help and it, yeah. it didn't feel that way Mm-mm. 10 years ago no I just didn't know where where to go yeah and I think also because I wasn't able to accept for myself that what I was feeling was loneliness what I was feeling was that sort of emotional isolation that you guys mentioned of sitting surrounded by your best friends truly having an amazing time and any of those moments would have been appropriate for me to say, this is happening, I really need to talk. Yeah. But it felt like a burden, but it wouldn't have been. It, it wouldn't have been. I mean, maybe, hypothetically. I, we're not there right now. But I do think it's really interesting to talk about age, too, because we were young. Like We were young people living in an overwhelming city with lots of adult responsibilities at, like, 22 years mm-hmm. old. And that was a lot. And, you know... I don't know if we've talked, I think I maybe have talked about this on another episode, but like I went through a major eating disorder. I was doing drugs. Like it was not a good time in my life either. And we were surrounded by people who were all dealing with hot mess mm-hmm. lives. <laughs> like that was kind of the reality. Yeah. Um, and I also had to like exhume myself from the city and from all the people in my life to be able to kind of hit restart yeah. and do it again. And so I, you know, I can see and, and understand the loneliness of like being a young person in an overwhelming situation and not feeling like you have the resources to make it better. So I wonder, like, you know, you can't go back and tell your young self something different, and we have no idea how young Kate would have reacted mm-hmm. if you had released that kind of burden. But like, if we could, what could we have done differently to hear each other or see each other better? maybe (laughs) I don't know and I think with what I know from the past 10 years and even from how supportive you were in the moment like 
I do think yeah, I mean, either of us would have been fine talking about it. Um, but I also think I didn't know back then what part of it was me being a messy early 20-something new to New York City or what part of it was me actually struggling with something. Mm. And so there are a lot of times, especially people that are new to the city that I work with, I don't want to, like, we're friendly, but we're not friends. I don't want to overburden them, but I also want them to know that I've been there. Mm -hmm. If you ever need to talk about anything, because I have people that I can talk to, and I do think that being new to New York in your early 20s, it's a very lonely thing, Mm -hmm. because you are taking on a lot of adult responsibilities, and you think you're an adult now, and... Yeah, having 10 years go by to look back and think, oh my gosh, I feel like I probably became an adult three years ago. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> like, I... Me too. <laughs> well, I mean, let me just say that is a continual journey for your whole life. Oh, great. Okay? Good to know. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I hate to tell Here you guys this, but you never actually reach that moment where you go, I did it. Uh, <laughs> stop the tape. I'm going great. home. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. If that's what you're expecting, I'm just so sorry. But it is nice to think back because, yeah, like three years ago I felt a new shift and I'm sure probably like a few years before that I felt a shift. Um, You said something a little while ago, Lucy, about what it would have meant to you as a friend and what it means to you as a friend for me to be able to sort of release these emotions to you. And... I think that's telling, and I think the fact that we have been able to reconnect and sort of, I think we're in the process of picking back up Mm -hmm. where we were, says a lot about the journey we've taken together, the journey we've taken separately. Um, It just reminds me a lot of like, I think in my like darkest moments, and I had some pretty dark moments, I thought that there was no way to repair anything that I had done. Um, and like just you in my life is proof that you can, Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, like I was saying before, it made me really sad when you were gone. It made me mad. I was, I didn't know what I had done. You know what I mean? Um, and then I realized, and and I think a lot of people have to realize when, when things like that happen, like it's most of the time not about you, it's about Mm -hmm. the other person, but in my darkest moments, I really have always thought like, okay, I've, I've really screwed it up now. There's no way I'm not coming back from this. There's no way to repair relationships. There's no way to fix what has been broken. And I think, you know, a lot of people make a lot of rash decisions when they get to that place where they think they can't grow or fix things anymore. Um, and it's just kind of like proof that you can. Yeah. People grow up. People grow out. Um, I, I think what you just said brings me back to something I was thinking about about the just like the friendship back then I didn't feel like I could trust trust isn't the right word I don't know what the word is but now I know that I have the emotional connection with people that I'm able to trust them Mm -hmm. so maybe trust is the word I didn't emotionally feel safe enough to talk to people about what was going on and I think over the you know my time in New York, I've I've had friendships come and go, and most of it's been at my doing because when things get to the point where there's about to, you're about to like lower that emotional wall, 
I was more comfortable putting it back up and being like, okay, next adventure, um, which isn't fair to me. And it's not fair to the people that I was friends with. Uh, but I feel like most of my emotional walls are down now. They're much lower. You can sure. jump over them if you need to. <laughs> I'm accessible now. Yeah. Uh, but There's at least like a door yeah. in the wall. Yeah, I had a door installed. <laughs> like knock now. Yeah, sometimes I lock it. But uh, it's easy to get through. You say something really nice. You, know, yeah. you just mentioned trust. Somebody I was talking with recently called it emotional security. Yeah. And really that, that feeling deep down inside that you can trust the person with with your deepest feelings and how creating that sense of security enables you to be able to do it and that takes time it's hard it's hard it's as hard. an adult this and, is and we're not talking about being a therapist here i just uh-uh. want to make really sure for anybody listening this is just about being friends it's not about making life you know all well or listening for as, as a therapist might Really, Which is really great. Therapists are really great. Exactly. <laughs> I, and I mean that in, in the greatest yeah. sense of the word. We're not asking anybody listening to be a therapist. But sure. what is it like to be a friend that creates that emotional security for another? And, you know, as friends, what is our responsibility to our other friends? You know, Ryan, you started out by saying, or Kate, you did earlier today, that you would look at Ryan and never have a clue. Yeah. He was lonely. You know, I think people look at me, never have a clue I've ever been lonely in my life, and certainly I have as well. Um, the faces that are lonely are ones often we would never even imagine. So as people who are friends of others, what can we do, too, to try to create that emotional security for our friends and help them feel comfortable enough to share when nobody has a clue that they well, are? And trust is a two-way street. Yeah, like, exactly. It, it has to be equal on both sides. And I yes. think, you know, the other, you're using the word friends a lot, which is really interesting because I do feel like mm-hmm. people don't have to be best friends to be supportive of other humans. You were saying that, that's you correct, wish of course. that day that you had just stood up and said, please, someone give me a hug because it might have made something better and it didn't have to be the closest a friend to give you a hug. It might have just shown to you that you matter mm-hmm. on that day. But this is what mm-hmm. I was going to say is yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know how anyone else at this table feels, yes. but it's hard to make friends as an adult. And I think we see time and time again that a lot of the people who are suffering most deeply from a feeling of loneliness are adults who don't feel like they have a supportive group of friends. Um, and I'm wondering now, you know, I feel really different from where I did 10 years ago because I feel yeah. like I've crafted and really worked on trying to create intimate relationships with people that are meaningful, that have like repetitive um, meetings and like, you know, tonight is game night for me. So I have people coming over to watch Game of Thrones and we're going to play Catan because we're nerds. Right. <laughs> but like, that's awesome. And it gets me through the week. And I know it's like a, a thing that's going right. to happen um, that has really kind of curbed some of my feelings of lack or feelings of um, less than because yeah. uh, I know people will show up. There mm-hmm. are people who show up for me. And I'm wondering in the last decade, do you feel like you've become better at choosing friendships and like maintaining friendships? You have a husband who's wonderful. Um, and that's a partnership that like, he doesn't ever go away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is that helpful? Because getting married for me was super helpful. <laughs> it is super helpful. It, it's, it, the, the literal loneliness is like, it's, it, it is nice to know. And when you're talking about game nights and like, you know, those same sorts of outings and events help me get through the week mm-hmm. and give me something to look forward to. 
Even as something as simple as, okay, he's going to be home when I get home. Mm-hmm. Or if he's working, at least Otto, our dog, is going to be home when I get home. And even before I was married or before I had Otto, they didn't come out of her husband first, dog second. <laughs> um, <laughs> anytime I knew that I had... What's so crazy about it, looking back now, is I always had people I could reach out to at every phase of this. <laughs> Pick up the phone and call my mom. There was always somebody there. I just wasn't strong enough to let myself uh, acknowledge it. Because mm. every now and then there would be times that I felt sort of abandoned or lost. And back then I would call my mom. And it was, I knew that as soon as she answered, I would start to cry. And that's all that I needed. And I, I still call my mom, I don't cry as much, but it's still that same sort of knowing that you have somebody there. Even if I didn't have any of these people, I have my therapist, Mm -hmm. and she is always there. Uh, I'm extremely lucky to have the family, the relationships, the friends that I have. And so I try not to take that, try not to take that for granted because I know that not everybody is as lucky um, but everybody has somebody that they can talk to. I will be that person for somebody if they need it. Um, I will be the stranger on the street who can give you a hug because I know how much that means. Mm-hmm. Um, there are still, you know, even living in New York, I've, I've always sort of had this idea that at some point I want to do something to help the homeless community. I just... It's heartbreaking. And I don't carry cash. I don't ever have cash on me, so I literally don't ever have money to give them. But just making the eye contact with them, and you can tell that it triggers something and that it means something to them. Smiling at somebody, telling somebody to have a good day means so much. And so that's like a, a an extreme example of that, but... I don't, like, I smile at people on the street, and I think sometimes people think I'm crazy. But back to that, maybe I actually am. They knew. They <laughs> Full circle. Something. They knew. But uh, there is nothing, at least in my experiences, that has been so bad that I can't reach out to somebody, that I can't reach out to a stranger, mm-hmm. that I can't... Reach out to a paid professional. And there are free professionals. Like, there, the you can go to an emergency room and ask for help. You can, there is somebody there for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's taken me, you know, not just the past decade, but I'm almost 32, you know, 32 years to, to realize, and I will continue over the next 32 years and beyond to realize that there's always somebody there. And realizing that, that there's always somebody there for me has made me want to make sure that I'm always there for somebody else, which is why I reach out to people that I know are new to New York or friends that are going through something. It's, there's nothing so important in my life that I can't pause for a moment because people pause for me. Yeah. 
Wow, are you full of wisdom? <laughs> I think Kate and I are sitting here rather speechless after that. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's so interesting right? <laughs> to have a conversation 10 years cool. later about something, um, you know, and, and you haven't talked about it a lot, and I certainly haven't talked about it a lot, but it's, you know, to me it's just a reminder, I said it before, but I'll say it a little differently now, um, that it's, it's worth it just to be able to have these conversations a decade later in these moments of my like very, very, very dark thoughts um, where I think like, I just would rather be done. Mm -hmm. Like I just rather be done than have to deal with these emotions. I sit here and I have conversations like this and I think like, I'm so glad I wasn't done because like, it's going to make me cry. Like I'm so glad I wasn't done because this is like the best. (laughs) It's the best to, to have these moments of true humanity where you can investigate yourself with another person. That's, that's why we're here, in my opinion. And I, I, that puts it so articulately because the, that day, and it was, it was, I wish I could remember the day, but it was late September 2008. The month before I had lost my relationship, I had lost, you know, my dog went to live with my grandma I lost okay. my apartment because of the relationship. Uh, I filed for bankruptcy because I lost all of my money. Most of it was my own doing, but I lost everything. And I was like, I don't have, I don't want to do this. I don't want to, and it wasn't even I don't want to, I don't know how to mm-hmm. fix this. So I'm just going to step away. And I'm so glad that it didn't work. And who, I'm so glad that I reached out. It has nothing to do with it not working. I, had I not reached out, it might have. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad that I reached out because I was able to, you know, get help before it might have gone too far. And yeah, the years after that were hard and I isolated myself and I lost friends and I was in foolish relationships. And yeah, some of that is being young in New York City but through all of that, each time I went through a version of that, I was able to look back and think, it's never going to get as bad as it was. Mm-hmm. And I really, truly believe that. And there are times that I thought, oh, this is so bad. You know, maybe I should try to do something bad again. And I think, no, it's like, I was saying it earlier, this too shall pass. Everything is just, you know, if you lose your job, your apartment, your money, your dog, if you lose everything... Start over. Well, and it's and important. You just said, like, it, you know, when those, those moments do come back. Like, it's not like that kind of feeling just goes away. Like, there are days, for me, you know, I, I haven't attempted suicide, but, like, my eating disorder is still in my head every single time I put food in my mouth, right? It doesn't just go away, but it's about learning how to um, move through it rather than work against mm-hmm. it, I think, for me. Um and, and that's like a very interesting thing that you were talking about earlier too, that idea of it doesn't go away, but it's about seeing, I don't remember how you worded it. I don't remember. You don't remember either? <laughs> Whatever it was was profound. It was very profound. I'm quite sure. A very profound. No, but that idea of learning to, to live with it, to live with it. And I've heard both of you say, 
to reach out and talk with people about it when you need help, to know who those people are. And Kate, at some point in a future podcast when we have time, I really do think we need to explore the whole concept again of how do you find that group as you get older? How do you put that together? What does that look like? Because that's, that's an essential part of where so many of us are. But for now, you both have strong groups, strong friend sets that you can call. And it's taken a long time. But it's taken Mm -hmm. a long time to do that. It's work. It's work. But it's vitally important. It's the most important work. To have. And to for each of you to kind of look out for each other, you know, in a proactive way and a receptive way, it feels like. The whole concept of loneliness can drive you to places that are, you know, not where you want to be. Mm -hmm. And you have people around you to help now. Wow. Okay. <laughs> okay. That okay. Was, okay. Okay. Wow. Wow. Ryan. Hey, okay, thanks. Thank you enough for <laughs> joining course. us today. Anytime. Unbelievable. And for sharing so very much that you shared today. I can't even imagine how much your story is going to help and be of interest to so many folks who are listening today. Vulnerability is the new sexy. You're not kidding. I am so sexy. You are so dreamy <laughs> today. You really are. And your vulnerability was remarkable. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you. Thank you. Of course. Thank you. If you have a story to share or know someone who might want to chat with us, feel free to visit our website at www.thecostofloneliness.org slash loneliness and. And if you haven't yet, please like and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Leave us a little comment. It helps our ratings and helps us get more stories like this to you.